All right, how's everybody? Come with me if you want to, your Bibles. Otherwise, you can just listen. But I'm going to read a story, the story of Gideon from Judges chapter 6. So I'm just going to begin in verse 1 of Judges chapter 6. It says, The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord for seven years, and he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. And whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern people invaded the country. And they camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. And they came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them for their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. I'm sorry, impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. And when the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. And the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. And when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. I like the. King James, New King James better. The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And I love Gideon's response here in verse 13. He says, pardon me, my Lord. If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? And then, you know, the story, the whole thing about the fleece, if you're familiar with it, he doesn't believe God at first. Like if this is a word from God, you know, he asks for several different signs until he becomes persuaded or he becomes convinced. And then in verse 34, it says, then the spirit of the Lord came on Gideon and he blew a trumpet summoning all these people together. I want you to notice the spirit of the Lord came upon him. So we're talking about making shifts, the kind of the theme for the year we're talking about is shift happens, meaning that there has to be various shifts that take place in our perceptions and our thinking and in our belief systems. And we certainly see this in the story of Gideon, because before the Outward oppressors, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the Eastern peoples, before they can be dealt with so that Israel can actualize who they are or bring into full expression in the physical world who they are, because they are the ones who have the right to occupy the land. They're the ones who have the right to the fruit and the livestock and all of that. And you have all of these other oppressors coming in and squeezing in on them so that they're not experiencing 
who they are in its fullness. You, you see that? So before any of that external stuff can be dealt with, uh, God has to raise up somebody because he never does anything independent of us. He always does things with us. So he chooses this guy, Gideon, right? And I love what, how the story goes. He shows up to Gideon and he says, he tells him who he is. He says, the Lord is with you, <laughs> mighty man of valor or mighty warrior. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, I'm from the 80s, so I don't know how many of you remember the, the show Different Strokes. Remember Different Strokes with... Uh, Remember Arnold and Willis, the two brothers, and Arnold would be like, what you talking about? <laughs> He'd look at his brother, what you talking about, Willis? I'm really dating myself. Okay, nobody got that. But, um, but that's kind of Gideon's response, right? Gideon's like, pardon me? Like, who are you talking to? And it's so funny because the, the angel doesn't take him through a therapy session and doesn't try to convince him of anything. He kind of ignores the fact that he even said that, and he just says, go in this strength of yours, right? But here's the point. There had to be a shift that had to take place in Gideon's thinking. And I see a shift on three different levels. The first shift, obviously, is he has to come to the realization that God is with him. The Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, is God tells him, I'm sending you, right? I'm sending you to drive back the Midianites. So he has to understand then that God is also for him. So Gideon, God is with you, and Gideon, God is for you. And then in verse 34, it says, The Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Now, the way you would visualize that when you hear that doesn't really make sense, because God shows up to Gideon. He doesn't say, the Lord will be with you. He said, the Lord is with you. Right. So then how later after the fleeces and all that stuff, the spirit of the Lord comes upon him. It's like, OK, now he's really with him because actually it's a bad translation. And if you have a some of the uh, study Bibles will have footnotes next to it and you can look in your margin. Some of you may or may not have that. But what it literally says in the Hebrew was not the spirit of the Lord came on Gideon. What came upon Gideon, what it literally says is. God put on Gideon or the spirit of the Lord put on Gideon. So when you look at that verse in that light, the third shift that has to take place for Gideon in order to accomplish what God has given him to accomplish is he has to understand that God is in him. So here's the shifts that he makes. Gideon, God is with you. Gideon, God is for you. And Gideon, God is in you. God is with you. God is for you. God is in you. Now, it's interesting about the Midianites. I was looking at this between services. Let's look at Midian for a second from Moses' story in Exodus chapter 2. Now, you know, Moses is raised in Pharaoh's house, right? And he kills, he, he sees the oppression, he's Hebrew, he sees the oppression of the Hebrew people, he resonates with it, he identifies with it, and he delivers one of the Israelites by killing an Egyptian, right? He buries the Egyptian, but word gets out and Pharaoh is enraged, so he flees from Egypt and he flees from Pharaoh and he goes into a land called Midian. And so, uh, yeah, verse 15 is where we'll pick it up. When Pharaoh heard of this, 
He tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Now, a priest, a priest of Midian had seven daughters and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. And some shepherds came along and drove them away. But Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered their flock. When the girls returned to Reuel, their father, he asked them, why have you returned so early today? Now, watch how they answer. They answered, an Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. Notice they didn't say a Hebrew. They said an Egyptian. And where is he? Real asked his daughters. Why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. And Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. And Zipporah gave birth to a son and Moses named him Gershom, saying, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. And the Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. And their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. And God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And so God looked on the Israelites with concern about them. And the next thing we read about Moses is his encounter at the burning bush. Okay? So let's do a little bit deeper thinking than what's just on the surface of the scriptures, okay? Midian represents for us information that comes to us from the five physical senses. Information that comes to us from the five physical senses, or it represents the outer world. Okay? Livestock can represent that which takes on a life of its own coming from the five physical senses. Okay. Order of creation... On the fifth day, God creates the fish and the birds. Yes. Sixth day, out of the earth, God causes all the livestock to grow, and it's connected to the creation of man. So taming sheep or taming livestock is about bringing into subjection that which is a byproduct of our five physical senses that takes on a life of its own that can get out of control. All right, let's do it this way. Midian represents the land of the senses. So in order for... See, here's what happens with Moses. Moses is born with a destiny code. He's born with a purpose. Uh, He's born to be a deliverer. When it says that Moses' mother looked at the baby, remember Pharaoh is killing all the babies because the Egyptian or the Israelites are increasing in the land and Pharaoh becomes threatened by this and so he sends out an edict to kill all of the male uh, babies, right? And it says that Moses' mom looked at Moses and saw him. Uh, It's very intriguing the way that reads in the Hebrew. It it, it means that she was able to perceive that he had a destiny. It wasn't just that she saw him. She was able to perceive him really as the deliverer of Egypt. So she puts him in an ark, which is a symbol of deliverance throughout the scriptures. And the ark carries him down the Nile. 
right into Pharaoh's house. Right? So he has something that he was born, that he, he has a mission that he came into the earth with that is to free his brethren. So he's raised as an Egyptian. He's raised as a prince or king, if you will, of Egypt. Right? But he sees the oppression and something awakens inside of him. Something activates inside his consciousness. He, he gets some kind of an idea of who he is. He gets some idea of who he's called to be. And he acts on it. And when he acts on it, he actually initiates a shift in his reality. This is so important. Because, think about it this way. He's going along his daily life, learning to do whatever it is that he was learning to do. And probably, he wasn't next in line to be Pharaoh, but he probably would have become some kind of a high priest in Egypt who was serving in Pharaoh's court. But that wasn't who he was supposed to be. That was just who he was domesticated to be. That's just who he was raised to be. That's just who he was trained to be. I could say it this way. That's just who he was brainwashed to become. To become one of the oppressors rather than one of, than the deliverer. <laughs> so he sees something that activates something in his consciousness. The spark of his divine destiny. The spark of, of the scroll that's inside his soul that God placed inside of him awakens and he acts on it. And when he acts on who he really is, he shifts his reality completely so that now he has to dwell in a different place. <laughs> now he's chased from Egypt, right? And, and he's chased from Egypt and he meets seven daughters and there's lots we could do with that because there's lots of symbolism there, but we'll leave that alone. And but he goes to a priest of Midian, a priest of Midian, a priest in the land of the senses so that he could learn to tend flock. And here's the interesting thing. They didn't say a Hebrew delivered us. They said an Egyptian delivered us, which means he had taken on the external form of an Egyptian. The embodiment, the look, the mannerisms, the language, the whole thing, right? And then he goes and he submits himself to the priest of Midian so that he can learn to master the senses. So that he can learn to tend the livestock. And watch this. And it says, in the process of time, the king of Egypt died. It does not say, in the process of time, the pharaoh of Egypt died. Some of you got that. In the process of time, the king of Egypt died. It does not say the Pharaoh of Egypt died. So who was the king of Egypt? Or in the Hebrew, it's the same word as prince. Who is the prince of Egypt that died? Moses had to die to all the externalized training that he had received from his senses while he was in the land of Egypt so that he could fully step into the destiny of who he was called to be. So once he learned to tame the livestock, once he learned to domesticate and rule over properly the livestock that had been the byproduct of Midian, now he's ready... Which is why, see, you understand, all your Bible commentaries will tell you that when the bush is burning, and it wasn't a bush, in the original language it was a tree, but when the tree is burning, 
it was not an unusual sight because you're in the desert. It was dry. Think about maybe forest fires or something like that. Only it's you know much hotter than it is up in the mountains here. And so it would not be unusual for the heat from the sun on that brittle on brittle dead trees to to ignite them. That that would be something that would be normal to the senses. But when you have but, but because Moses had learned to master his senses, when he sees the tree burning, he notices something about the tree that nobody else would be able to notice because he's not being ruled by only his five physical senses. He sees that the tree is burning, but that the tree is not being consumed. So he turned aside to look, but he's not looking with his physical eyes. He's looking with his spiritual eyes. And so he's entering into an encounter in the bush with the Lord who reveals to him more fully who he is and what his destiny is that he's called to accomplish. So you see the same story, sort of, retold in the story of Gideon, because you see there are patterns in Scripture. Really, all the stories are designed to get us kind of to the same place. So now you have the Midianites, the senses, oppressing the Israelites, not the Hebrews. The Bible is very clear when it's picking names. It's funny how it, how it does it, because... Israel is the byproduct of Jacob who wrestled with God, who shed who he was externally so that he could become who he was internally and, and actualize it. Israel comes from what? The Israelite comes from what? It comes because they were the sons of Israel, who was Jacob. Why? While we're on Jacob, I don't want to lose you, but I'm just having fun. While we're on Jacob, how many of you know there's a story in the Bible about Jacob? Remember Laban's oppressing Jacob and he's stealing from him and he's robbing from him. And so he says, give me the livestock and all the speckled sheep uh, I'll keep and all the non-speckled sheep you can have. And then he, he takes these pine things and he, he drills holes in them so that when he's looking at the sheep, he's seeing them with spots. <sighs> And they started reproducing. Why? Because livestock represents the reproduction of that which comes only from the five physical senses. So Jacob becomes Israel after he wrestles with God by the river Jabbok. And God tells him, you're not, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but it shall be Israel, for you have wrestled with God and with man, and you have prevailed. So really Israel, the, the name in its essence means that which prevails, or a prevailer, or an overcomer, right? So the prevailers, the overcomers, are being oppressed by the Midianites. So here's the picture. The picture for us is this, is that our five physical senses send us all kinds of information about who we are that we have to overcome in order to manifest and actualize who we are as sons and daughters of God. All right, let's do it this way. <laughs> How do you know who you are? If, if, if I were to add, just simply ask you a question, if I had started the message, maybe if I was more articulate and polished i would have started the message this way who are you <laughs> and maybe maybe when you're asked that question you answer with your name <laughs> but is your name who you are or is that just a label that was put on you by your parents that becomes a social currency that allows you to navigate in relationships it gives people a way to identify you and label you but is it who you are 
And so we can answer that question in all kinds of ways. But for most people, they answer it based on their circumstances. They might start telling stories about their life, uh, about what they've experienced in life, about what they're... And, and so for a lot of us, our feelings that we have, our emotions that we experience, our thoughts that we have about ourselves is simply the byproduct of our life experiences. I am not... Uh, well... <laughs> One of the reasons I am not an accountant today is because very early on I had trouble with numbers. I, I, I had trouble even memorizing my multiplication charts. And so I got labeled as being bad at math, which just carried on all the way throughout my life. So how do I know I'm terrible at math? Well, because of my life experience. But maybe I'm not terrible at math. Maybe I just had teachers that didn't know how to work with my learning style. Who knows? Right? But it becomes a part of who I am because it's like I become, you become molded and shaped and framed. Your identity, your person becomes molded and shaped and framed by the messages from the people that are significant around you, parents, peers, whatever the case may be, until you fit this mold that you know as yourself. And that's basically what Moses did. That's basically what Gideon was doing. And so... The way we can read this story is we can understand that, that the circumstances of our life, if we go only by what we're seeing with our eyes physically, if we go only by what we're hearing with our ears, if we go only by what we're sensing or feeling, can become oppressive to us. And the reason it becomes oppressive is because just like Moses and just like Gideon, and just like almost anybody else in the scriptures, you and I have two very different identities. Paul called it the outer man and the inner man. The outer man is that which is shaped by life experiences and by the five physical senses and is very much alive. So that when you're going through, anybody going through hell, anybody going through life, Just a little bit. I know some of you are really going through it. And you might find yourself like the Israelites or like Gideon in the midst of your situation saying, where is God in the midst of this? Where is God? And how come I'm not experiencing powerful living? How come I'm not experiencing victorious or overcoming living? (laughs) Right? Because... You can find yourself in a place where the five senses begin to oppress you. And the very first thing that we have to learn to do, I mean, you know, spiritual living 101, is you have to know how to turn off, not really turn off, you have to know how to tame the byproduct of your five physical senses. You have to learn how to tend sheep in Midian. So that that what takes on a life of its own based on whatever information is coming at you in the moment does not take you over, but you rule over it. You tame it. You domesticate it. Right? So if I'm facing illness, the illness is a reality. The illness has a life, but it can either be a lion or a lamb. It depends on how I relate to it. If I become super afraid of it, and in my mind it becomes too big to overcome, 
and I start believing all the reports that I'm hearing, it becomes a lion that can then devour me. But the spiritual person is able to see it as a lamb, something that is, hey, we raise sheep, dumb, stubborn, but receptive to the voice of the shepherd. So you have to learn how to take the position of the shepherd to make the sheep respond to your voice rather than it dragging you all over the place. Is this making sense to you? So that's the first thing that you have to do. You have to say, okay, yeah, it looks like maybe God's not with us. Yeah, it looks like maybe um, we're being oppressed. It feels like we're being oppressed. Uh, life's spinning out of control. Whatever the case may be, I'm, I'm in, I find myself in Egypt. I find myself in a place of oppression, and I find myself in a place of bondage. Now, please listen to me. If this is not you, please listen to me, because one day it will be. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how to be a bearer of bad, you know, I don't want to be a bearer of bad news, but life happens to all of us. So if you don't need this information today, there will be a day that it will be useful to you. And so you have to remember that, that the, the world outside of us is a world of illusion. It is not the world of concrete reality. It appears like the world of concrete reality, but it's always subject to change to those that know how to change it. But if you get into the mindset of Gideon, where the Midianites are just oppressing you, and you have no power, and the best you can do is get what little you can hope for and hide it and stash it inside uh, the threshing floor, then that's the best you can hope for. And so what it takes is an encounter with God where God shows up and shifts something in your thinking so that when something shifts in your thinking about who God is and you, you, you can begin to look at this and say, yeah, it feels like and it even looks like and it even sounds like God is a million miles away. Like he somehow just abandoned me on this spaceship Earth and went off somewhere and maybe some point in time he's going to come back and check on me. Anybody ever felt like that? So you've got two testimonies. You can have the testimony of your senses that says God is not with us, or you can take the testimony of God that says, I am with you, mighty man of valor. I am with you, mighty woman of valor. I am with you, mighty warrior. Because the moment you understand, because see, two things have to shift for Gideon, not just the fact that God is with him, but also the fact of who he is because God is with him. And the next thing that has to change is is sometimes it looks like God might even be against you. (laughs) Am I talking to the wrong bunch? Maybe I'm talking to the wrong bunch. You all know somebody that could benefit from this, I'm sure. Maybe you can get it and send it to them. There there are times when it appears that God is against us, right? That That God himself is the source of... Oppression, And we can come up with all kinds of reasons why. Well, we're worshiping idols, or we're not in church enough, or we're not this, or whatever the case may be. But the reality is, is that God, God is with you, but God is also absolutely for you. Now, that doesn't mean that he's uh, always in full support endorsing your agenda. <laughs> you can't just take your own agenda and say, yes, God is... God is with us and for us, you know, like, like I just don't think either political platform is that great. And so I don't think either side, uh, elephant or donkey can stand up and say, God is with us and the, and the donkeys are our enemies and 
Some of you know what I'm talking about. It's not an election year. It's always safer to talk about this stuff when it's not an election year because everybody's emotions aren't as charged. But see, we, 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 have to, we have a tendency to think that God is with us and not with our enemies, so he's supporting our agenda, and that, that's not necessarily true. I mean, surely we're smart enough to know that's not necessarily true. But the truth is, is that God always has your highest and best in mind. He's always for you in the sense of wanting your highest good. So you can trust whatever you're going through, that all things will work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Right? So God is absolutely for us. These are just facts. <laughs> right? And then this is the one that's hard for Christians to get. Because even in the Old Covenant, what we call the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, God put on Gideon. And I love it when, when, when they go and attack, finally attack the Midianites. And what they do is they give out a shout and they say, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. Because this is where the idea of union with God, that just freaks people out. But I'm telling you, you cannot come into any kind of overcoming until you understand that at the core of your essence, you are a divine being. That God is with you, God is for you, but God is also in you, and you have a divine self. I don't know how we lost this. It's, all, it's embedded all throughout Scripture. Just go read the first chapter of Second Peter, the first chapter of Second Peter, and right in there it says, it says that you might become a partaker of the divine nature. And the word nature in the Greek is the word for species. <laughs> That you might become a partaker of the divine species. See, it's, it's actually there in the creation story. Uh, God creates seed and every seed reproduces what? After its own kind. So banana trees make bananas. Fig trees make figs. Corn causes corn, right? Then he goes on and, and dogs give birth to dogs and cats give birth to cats and, right? Everything reproducing after its own kind. Then he says, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. So apples reproduce apples. Corn reproduces corn. God reproduces God. So part, part, I love, you know, some of the stuff that came through. It's been a few years now, but how many remember if you were in the charismatic movement at all? There was a whole, like, the Father Heart of God movement, like, like getting to know the, the Father Heart of God and, and adopt, being adopted and the spirit of adoption and the orphan spirit. I, we didn't really get into that here, but, but the idea, when we say, like, I'm a son or a daughter of God, we have a tendency to put sentimentality to it. And we think, oh, I'm a son or I'm a child of God. And, and then it, it kind of drifted into this thing like God's there to soothe your, all your emotional needs. <laughs> make you feel loved, make you feel significant, make you feel important, all that stuff. But that was not the idea in the ancient world. The only people who were ever referred to as sons of God in the ancient world were those that were ruling the land. The only one that could call himself a son of God uh, in Moses' day was Pharaoh. In Jesus' day was Caesar. 
Because the idea was that they were ruling on behalf of the gods or actually that the god, whatever god it was, had put on the ruler. And the ruler himself was merely the mask that the god was wearing in order to express divine rule and divine right. So for Paul to come along, for Jesus to come along and say, God is our Father. For Paul to come along and say, you are the sons and the daughters of God. He's elevating Christians to the status of kings. He's elevating Christians to the status of world rulers. But even more than that, he's elevating them to God in skin. (laughs) He's elevating them to a full expression or emanation of the divine himself. It's in the Gospel of John. It's in the Gospel of John. They're they're trying to kill Jesus. They pick up stones to kill him and he stops them. The the Jewish people, right? He stops them. He says, he says, why are you seeking to kill me? Is it because what is it the works that I've done? And they said, it's not because of any works that we seek to kill you. It's because you being a man, make yourself out to be God. And then he comes back. He says, what's your problem in your own scriptures? Has it not said ye are all gods and sons of the most high? So that what God is really trying to do is bring us into the consciousness and the awareness of the expression of our own divine self. So that when Moses sees his brethren being oppressed when he's a young man, something awakens in the depths of his unconscious that causes him to realize that he's not just an Egyptian, but causes him to realize that he has a divine potential. And he acts as a deliverer. And when that, ex- when that life expresses itself, his entire circumstances shift. His entire world shifts and changes. He's got a new address. He's got a new mentor. He's got a new occupation. And he's got to stay in that place until in the process of time, the outer man, the king of Egypt, dies. Because once the outer man dies, now the full expression of his divine nature can come forth. So when he stands at the bush, what does God tell Moses? God tells Moses, you will be As God to Pharaoh. (laughs) All right, let's do it this way. Paul said it like this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5. You were chosen in him before the foundation of the world to receive the adoption of sons. Remember, in the ancient world, that means to actualize your own divine nature. So when you were conceived, when you and I were conceived, there's all the physical processes involved, but you and I had an existence that predates that. That you and I existed, the person that you are, existed in the mind of God from eternity past. And because you are a thought of God, you yourself are an expression of God. Just like your thoughts are an expression of you. And so as that conception is happening, God drops all those thoughts in there. And the idea is for you to be born and to actualize 
the mind of God in your own life. But something gets in the way of that. What gets in the way of that is Midian. What gets in the way of that is the testimony of the senses. So that you're bombarded for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, whatever it is, with the testimony of the senses, telling you who you are, telling you what you can accomplish and you can't accomplish, telling you where your limitations are, telling you what's good and what's bad, what's right and what's wrong, all the rules, all the constrictions, all the judgments, all the things that we have to do to function in society until we find ourselves kind of just trapped in this life and, and, and somehow yet we know we're t- way limited beyond you know, living way below where we could be living. And so the idea is, is for that part of us to die or be tamed or however you want to understand it so that our divinity can find expression. So that when God looks at you, he sees himself. And when you look at God, you see yourself. So that God is beholding God when he's beholding you and you're beholding you when you're beholding God. I told the first service, I didn't, I'm not doing the second message anything like I did the first message. I, I told the first service, you know, we don't do baptism at all like uh, the early church did. In the Greco-Roman world, Christianity was a mystery religion, which means that it, you, you had to be initiated into it. See, if we, were, if we went back 2,000 years, uh, let's say even 1,800, let's say even 1,500 years, we would have services where there might be your friends might come, your family members might come, whatever, and there would just be a proclamation of the gospel message. And then we would excuse everybody that wasn't already an initiate. And then the real service would start. <laughs> so people didn't know what went on. And baptism was not this public thing where everybody knew what was going to happen. You didn't know what was going to happen when you were being baptized. And so in the early church, they would take them down into the catacombs. Now watch this. They would take them down into the catacombs and... Uh, they, they would see the other initiates go in, but they wouldn't see them come out. <laughs> so you don't know what's going to happen to you. And you're down in the catacombs, and, and really what they're doing is they're leading you into the place of death. And you didn't know baptism was you got dunked in water. And they didn't let you up right away. <laughs> it wasn't just this nice little, shh, and then here's your certificate and your Bible and... Let's have a party. The idea was to shock you. So they would put you underwater and hold you there so that you would really literally go through the psychological experience of death because the idea was that the seed of your own divinity, the seed of who you are, had to be awakened through baptism and it required a shock to the system. It required a complete psychological shock in order to break the outward shell so that that which was uh, divine in you could find its own expression. So that's why you would be reborn in water and spirit. 
Because then what they would say is you are coming out a newborn babe. Why? Because God can't stand to look at you because all that dirty filth on you? No, because you need to forget who you are. You need to be able to go through a process like Moses where the Egyptian inside you dies so that you forget about the limitations of normal humanity and you forget about that you can't be healed of cancer and you forget about that you can't manifest abundance from nothing and you forget about that you can't work miracles and you forget about all the rules and all the laws and all the programming of death that has been put on you by the five physical senses so that the destiny code inside you can begin to be awakened so that the seed of who you really are as a child of God can begin to arise inside your own consciousness. Okay, let me give you another Bible story and we'll be done. Jeremiah chapter 1. The Bible tells us we miss things because we're, 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 we tend to be a little biblically illiterate. We don't do enough work. Jeremiah was a priest. He was a priest. But he was from a particular line of priests that one of the kings, I think it was Solomon, but I might be wrong, but anyway, one of the kings had decided that line was unfaithful, disloyal, and so their priestly rights had been revoked. So he was a priest, but he was from an alienated priesthood. And so God tells Jeremiah, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you and I ordained you to be a prophet to the nations. And Jeremiah says, "Ah, Lord God, I am but a child. I cannot speak. So he has two testimonies. He has the testimony of God that predates his formation in his mother's womb, and he has the testimony of his life experience and his culture of the day that says, I'm an alienated priest and I'm too young to be able to speak. And he's got to decide which testimony to act on. So the very next thing that happens to Jeremiah as he's having this conversation with God, he sees an almond branch that budded. He sees an almond branch that budded, and God tells him, Jeremiah, what do you see? And Jeremiah says, I see an olive branch that has budded. And he says, you have seen well, and then he commissions him to be a prophet. But again, we lose something in translation. You've seen well means you've chosen, you've seen both the base and the common And you've seen the desirable and the precious. You've seen the base and the precious. And you've chosen the precious. Then he says, I hasten or I will quickly perform my word. Because somewhere in the mind of Israel is a story of Aaron when his authority was being challenged by his brethren. And God said, take all the rods and put them in before in the presence of God in the Holy of Holies. And Aaron's rod budded almonds. So when Jeremiah is seeing the almond branch, he's seeing the reality of who he is being affirmed to him by God. 
So when he says you've seen well, what he's actually saying is you've seen yourself. You've seen both the vile and the base in yourself, and you've seen the precious in yourself, and you've chosen well because you've chosen the precious. Like when he says you've chosen well, it's not like good job. You chose the well. You chose the good. You chose the precious. The word that was going to be performed was not the word coming from Jeremiah's mouth. It was the word that God placed in Jeremiah before he formed him in his mother's womb. And when he reconnected with the divine expression of who he was, and he could see it, and he could begin to act on it, he began to understand God is with me, God is for me, and God is in me. You know what happened? All the physical circumstances shifted. So whether you realize it or not, you're here to shift realities. You're here to shift circumstances. You're here to transform things. But it only happens when you awaken to your own divine self and begin to possess it and own it. I know I'm throwing a lot of scripture at you, but hopefully I'm not making it too complicated. We've got to look at scripture differently. When, when find the last, okay, last thing. I know I said the other one was last thing. This is really the last thing. <laughs> hey, it's quarter tell. Galatians chapter 1, Paul's recounting, and he says, he, he talks about, being separated from his mother's womb. And he says, and when it pleased God, when it pleased God to reveal his son in me, that I might preach the gospel. I did not confer with flesh and blood. We read that as when it pleased God to reveal his son to me. But that's actually not what it says. So that Paul is very ambiguous about which son he's talking about on purpose. Is he talking about Jesus, the son of God, or is he talking about the son that he is that was in him from before the foundation of the world that he knew nothing about? So I would submit to you the son that was being revealed in Paul was not Jesus being revealed to him as Messiah, as much as it was his own identity as a son being revealed within him. And he said, I did not confer with flesh and blood. I did not look at the testimony of my senses to decide who I was. I went with the revelation of sonship and divinity that God gave me. And when he went with the revelation of who he was as a divine being, his entire world shifted. And he went from being a persecutor of the saints to a converter of the saints. To expanding the message of Christ beyond the borders of Israel into the Gentile world. So that really the key to life, really the key to overcoming is doing work to cultivate your own divine nature. 
taming the testimony of your senses so that if you're facing sickness, you say that sickness isn't going to be the last word because there's a divine self inside of me that needs to become larger inside than what's going on outside. And so I may have to affirm to myself and I have to train my subconscious. So if you could do it this way, the livestock that you and I have to tend are all the subconscious identities that have been formed inside of us because of our life experience. And I have to be able to reprogram my subconscious to say, I'm not limited by human standards. I'm not limited by what I think is possible. And this mountain that I'm facing doesn't have to get the best of me. But I can choose to introduce the idea into my mind that no matter what it looks like, God is with me. No matter what it feels like, God is for me. And no matter what I've thought previously about myself, God is in me. And I start training my subconscious mind to think in those regards and in those respects. And when some circumstance goes awry, I can take the trauma of that and be overcome. Or I can take the trauma of it as a doorway to a new awakening to discover who I really am and who I can become if I overcome these circumstances. Does that make sense to you? So that if I'm dealing with a diagnosis, I can say God is with me in this sickness. God is for my highest good and God is in me and there is purpose and destiny and there is even life beyond this life and so I am going to connect with the divine potentials inside of me. I'm going to connect with the seed of eternal life that's on the inside of me and I'm going to realize that this mortal identity that I have is merely meant to be clothing for the divine so that just like God put on Gideon, God can put on me to accomplish his purposes. That I'm not subject to this mask that I wear that is Aaron Tomlinson, but that Aaron Tomlinson, the identity that I know myself as, is the servant of the divine. So that God puts me on and flows through me so that truly it is the sword of the Lord and of Aaron that is prevailing in the midst of my circumstances. And with that mentality, with that consciousness, I can face every obstacle, every challenge, every mountain. I can face it with grace. I can face it with dignity. I can face it with honor. And I don't have to feel overwhelmed because I'm merely allowing the neutralizing of the outer man so that the real me that is eternal that existed in the mind of God before the worlds were even created can find its expression in the midst of my daily context. And sometimes, to give you the so what, like sometimes I think, sometimes you leave out of here, okay, so what? So to make it really practical, sometimes what you have to do is just rehearse to yourself over and over again who you are. Rehearse to yourself over and over again what you can do. 
and rehearse to yourself over and over again the intention that your outcome is impressing upon this world in order to influence it towards what you want. So that this circumstance isn't going to be the end of me. This circumstance isn't going to determine who, the fullness of who I am. I am divine. And as a divine being, I have access to divine power. And I, through the act of my intention, through the choice of my will, I'm exerting divine power in the midst of this situation. I'm going against Midian that has been oppressing me. So I'm exerting my divine will against sickness. I'm exerting my divine will against lack. I'm exerting my divine will against crazy relational circumstances. Crazy bosses. <laughs> crazy demon-possessed bosses. Whatever it is, your crazy demon-possessed relative. Whatever it is that you're dealing with, you allow that divine expression to rise up. Say, I'm an overcomer. I'm a conqueror. God is with me. God is for me, and God is in me. Sometimes that's all you can do. Just close your eyes to the circumstances. In the midst of panic, in the midst of anxiety, in the midst of depression, say, God is with me. In the midst of sickness, God is with me. God is for me, and God is in me. And I'm going to tell you something else. (laughs) Don't think that you're... Development stops when you die. Don't think that the plan of God stops for you when you die. It's like, okay, you made it through this test called life, and now you go sit up in your mansion in glory. That's not how it's going to be. (laughs) God has an eternal purpose that needs to be cultivated in your life. And whatever hardship you're going through, whatever circumstances you're going through, has been given to you to cultivate that thing for eternity. So quit feeling like, well, how come everybody else got dealt this and I got dealt this hand? You got dealt that hand because somehow in the ages to come, you're going to need the exact development that that hand is going to give you so you can fulfill what God called you to fulfill. And don't think your learning and your development stops just because you die. Sorry. I know we want God to just wave a magic wand. Okay, now we're all perfected little angels and we float around on clouds and play harps and live in our glorious mansions. That is a lie designed to seduce you into doing nothing to cultivate your soul. And who believes it? The Christians. Because if Christians ever start cultivating who they really are, the whole world will change. The whole world will change. We shouldn't be holding up abortion signs, shouting in people, and they're walking in and out of clinics while they're in crisis. That's not what we're called to do. That's not how we change the world. We don't do it by electing godless people to offices to change the laws of the land, thinking that's somehow going to bring righteousness. That is the cry of a powerless people who are oppressed by the Midianites, who have forgotten who they are. And don't understand that the way this world will be changed is when the sons and daughters of God are manifested, which means we have to do something to cultivate our own divine nature. should put down our signs, our bullhorns, our ballots, and just start cultivating who we are, and the world will change. But it seems like my brethren want to do everything but that. (laughs) Let's stand up. Thank you, Lord. I want you to just take a moment. How many of you can just sense 
the presence of the divine, the presence of God in you, around you, with you at this moment. Just saturate your consciousness in that for a moment. Saturate your consciousness in the presence of God. Saturate your consciousness in your union with Him. Realize that when God looks down, He's not seeing you that messed up or whatever, limited. He's not seeing you. He's seeing the divine in you. He's saying to each one of you, I am with you, O mighty man or mighty woman of valor. Go in this strength of yours, and I'll be for you. And if you'll allow me, I will put you on, and I will manifest through you the expression of my will, purposes. Father, we bless you for that. We thank you for that. Father, we thank you for downloads from heaven right now. We thank you for the energy of the Holy Spirit. And we invite right now the energy of the Holy Spirit, the power of God, the wisdom of God, the mind of God, the truth of God, the grace of God, the blessing of God to be downloaded into our hearts, downloaded into our subconscious regions, Lord, where real transformation and victory and empowerment can happen. Father, I pray right now for the confidence of every person in this room, every person in the sound of my voice. I ask right now for the confidence of those people to be elevated exponentially. Father, that their spirits be set free, that their souls be unfurled, that they truly could begin to rise up on eagles' wings above all the circumstances and trials that they're facing, and that right now they would have such an experience that they would realize the limitlessness of their own nature, the limitlessness of their own identity. Father, allowing us to rise up and soar into the heights of the heavens as rulers, as kings, as priests, as queens, as divine beings operating here in the earth, to whom all things are possible, that every mountain has to move out of our way, and every area of darkness has to be transformed by the power of light and conform itself to the will of God finding expression through us. And so, Father, we bless you for that. We honor you for that. We exalt you for that. We magnify you for that. And we give you glory. Now, if you're one of those people this morning that you've just been overwhelmed by life circumstances, I mean, this has really spoken to you or awakened something in you because you're in a situation that at times you felt like this is just too much for me, I would like to pray specifically for you. So if that's you this morning, if you just say, yeah, I've been a little bit overwhelmed and I need to be elevated this morning, I want you to just lift your hand. I'm not even going to ask you to come up. You can come up later and get more personal prayer if you want to. But right now, I just want you to lift your hand. Thank you. Now, I want you to receive by faith. This does no good for me if you don't connect with it by faith. I want you to just receive by faith. Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters right now lifting their hands. I thank you that they are more than enough to face what they're going through. I thank you that they have more than enough to overcome whatever has come against them. Father, where there is weakness, it is an illusion. Where there is overwhelm, it is a lying reality. And Father, I thank you for the trial that they're going through because it's just the thing to awaken the next unfoldment of the divine nature within them. 
And so, Father, right now, in the name of Jesus Christ, we break the seals on that enfoldment. We break the seal upon your soul, upon your consciousness, upon your mind. We break the oppression of it, and we awaken the rod of God inside of your own thinking. We awaken the sense of your identity, that which has lied dormant within your soul that is pregnant with the divine nature. We call it forth right now in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And we ask, Father, for the full expression of that, an awakening of that consciousness right now to take place. And I give you thanks, Lord, for a download of power right now, for a download into the inner man of strength and might and power and grace. How many of you felt that shift take place? Just say to yourself, shift happens. (laughs) Come on now, just lift your hands and give him some praise. Give him some thanks. Thank you, Lord. Father, we honor you. Father, we bless you. We thank you, O Divine One, O Holy One. We thank you for your presence and your power. We thank you for the privilege of you wearing us. We thank you for the privilege of being here and the privilege of serving you. We thank you that limitations and bondages are falling off. Father, I just speak healing right now into this room. Father, in people's bodies where they're dealing with diseases, where they're dealing with pains, where they're dealing with uh, irregularities inside their body, right now in the name of Jesus, we command those situations be corrected. And we release right now the healing power of Christ. All over this room, Father, we release the healing grace of Christ from the top of your head to the soles of your feet right now receive a download of healing energy and healing life and healing power from heaven hallelujah thank you Lord thank you Lord Come on, saints, open your mouth and give the Lord some praise. Open your mouth and give Him thanks. Hallelujah. (laughs) Hallelujah. Bless you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Just begin to say to yourself, it's a new day for me. It's a new day. It's a new day. It's a new day. I'm shifting my reality. (laughs) I'm shifting my circumstances. My life is changing for the better. In Jesus' name. God bless you. If you want more prayer, we'll have some people up here to pray with you. If you want to just kind of soak in this atmosphere, I'd invite you to continue to do that. Take something with you that will help you, that will empower you, that will bless you. We love you. Thank you for coming. In Jesus' name, amen.